John chapter 6, verse 41. I would remind you this is the word of the Lord. It was written a long time ago. But because it had two authors, John and it has the Holy Spirit, it's also written for you today with you in mind. This is God's word. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you. We do have the privilege of praying, and we can pray so many times in our service. We do now pray particularly that you would use your word in us, that your spirit would move and open our eyes, unstop our ears, soften our hearts, strengthen our wills, Lord, that we might be made ready to listen. We desperately need to hear from heaven, and so we ask that we would not simply hear Counsel from a pastor, but hear the words of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been just over a year since I was introduced, really, by Josh Bolden to the greatest bread on planet Earth. 
And I don't really say that, I don't think, lightly or in a silly fashion. It's the greatest bread on planet Earth. In fact, actually, many of you realize, it's just over a year ago with Snowmageddon. It was my first trip to Louisville. I came back and had the you know, giant snowstorm, had to drive all the way around the Appalachians. But it was in Louisville that Josh had directed me to a certain restaurant to have the greatest bread in the entire world. I got into Louisville. It was afternoon, evening. I was hungry. I was tired. It was freezing. My South Carolina blood was not thick enough. The wind was whipping in this restaurant. It was just across the river, down on the water. And I go and I order what Josh had told me to order. And it comes out. And I'll describe it for you in as much detail as I can do justice (laughs) to this amazing bread. Well, first, it comes served in a cast iron skillet. That should kind of set the stage. It's a a cast iron skillet in which they take a piece of French bread toast and drop it in the middle. And after they take the French bread toast, they take the rest of the turkey sandwich and put it on top. They put really thick cut, very nice turkey And they take a tomato and put it on top and they take a little bit of cheese and they put it on top and then they take white gravy and pour it all over the top. (laughs) And that sounds amazing, but that's not it. Then they put more cheese on top and then they put bacon and they put green onions and then they put it into the oven so the whole thing turns to one gigantic bowl of bread goo called hot brown we don't have them here they're absolutely unbelievable i sat down i was like i said exhausted beyond tired and the the server kind of you know whatever brings it out puts it on the table in front of me and i'm freezing and here's this boiling mass of amazingness in front of me i'm like this is it i have discovered the pinnacle of human existence on this place this is what we have all labored for it's amazing And some of you enjoy the story because you enjoy food and you're hungry and now I've made you more hungry. <laughs> but some of you are maybe like quibbling a little bit. Well, you're saying, yeah, I mean, it's a cool story and all. I mean, it's a hot brown. Okay, neat. I've had them. But you may be saying, well, that's technically not really bread. Because the French bread toast really turns to glue under the, uh, under the gravy and it's all amazing. And you eat it with a, like a knife and a spoon and it's unbelievable. Or some of you might be quibbling and saying, well, I'm okay, fine, whatever, it's bread. But it it can't be the best bread ever. I mean, really, out of all of humanity, all over the world, that's the best that we have to offer. Are are you kidding me? Really? And so many of us are kind of quibbling on one of the two elements of the definition. Is it actually bread? Or is it actually the right quality of bread? Bread. That's actually the moment that we pick up here in the text in John chapter 6. Remember, we're in the middle of a conversation already about the bread of life, and I didn't feel like tackling all 8,000 verses in one sermon, and so we've broken it up. And John chapter 6 has been a significant one as Jesus has begun it by providing bread for 5,000 men and women and children on top. So uh, it takes just a little bit of this barley bread and multiplies it and miraculously feeds 10, 12, 15,000 people. We don't know. 
And he introduces them to the idea that he is the bread of life because he makes bread show up from places where there isn't any bread or takes little bits of it and makes it bigger and there's bread everywhere. Baskets left over. And then immediately following that, he gives an object lesson to his disciples where they're out in the storm and he walks on the water and quiets the waves and then teleports the boat to the other shore. And it obviously freaks them out, and rightly so. And having had these two object lessons in the back of their brain of miraculous bread that's made and him being Lord over creation, over the wind and the waves, we now get to the latter part of John chapter 6 where the Jews begin this conversation with him about the bread of life. Who he is, what does he do, what's happening in verses 25 and following. We looked last week at the series of questions kind of culminating with the dumbest question in human history. Can you give us a sign that you're who you say you are after having done it repeatedly? Well, we pick up now in verse 41 as the Jews are again grumbling and they're grumbling about his definition. He said, I am the bread of life. And they're kind of quibbling in their minds and in their hearts about the, two, or the bread from heaven, about the two elements of that definition. Some are grumbling over, well, what does he mean when he's saying, I am the bread? Fair enough. That's actually an important question. And some are quibbling about bread from heaven, the bread of life, what does that mean? And we have two paragraphs that are going to walk us through as we seek to define this. So let's start. First part of the definition that they're going to grumble about is the bread from heaven. Verse 41, so the Jews, they grumble about Jesus because they said he's the bread that come from heaven. And they say, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? We live next to a very large city in a small town that's not really a small town. We don't know everybody everywhere all of the time anymore. We don't live our lives in a small circle where we can trace everybody's lineage all the way back to their great-great-grandparents just out of our knowledge. Most of us don't live in that type of small town anymore. Parts of South Carolina are still that way, but we're not in them anymore. You have to remember, that's the kind of land that they're living in. And so the Jews, when they go to talk about Jesus, they know. They know Jesus. They know his brothers and they know his family. They know his mom. They know his dad. They know how the birth date and the wedding date line up. They know. Everybody knows this. There's a a tremendous amount of shame attached to who this man even is as he's viewed to have been born a wee bit early, according to the calendar, by a lot. And so when he says the bread from heaven, they say, that's bogus. When I say the hot brown is the greatest bread in all of the world, you say, well, you certainly can't mean all of the world. That's an overstatement because I know what bread is like. They're saying, certainly you can't be the bread from heaven. You can't be the greatest bread of all time. You can't be from glory itself because we know you. Well, we can go talk to your mom right down the street. We know you. 
which I think had to have been just absolutely comical to think about because they would have known the kids of the town, and this is the one that never got in trouble. Never did anything wrong, never got in trouble with the parents. I mean, the only time he does, he doesn't come home with them. He stays in the temple, but, um, but they think they know him. And so as they're complaining about his pedigree, certainly you can't be from heaven. I know your family lineage. King Jesus chimes in and answers them. In paragraph kind of 41 through 51, if your Bible has it broken up in paragraphs, is his answer. And he has kind of four reasons explaining how he is bred from heaven. How can he use from heaven? How can he say he is the bread of life? How can it be that his pedigree is not what it looks like on the surface? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. I love that. (laughs) Stop grumbling. Stop talking. Be quiet. And begins, verse 44 introduces his first reason. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Oh, you want to know reason number one, why I am from heaven, is that the sheep will know my voice. You want to look at my pedigree. My pedigree is such that when I speak... The right sheep answer. I read a book this week, actually, about a shepherd in the Lake District in England. It was wonderful as it's kind of processing what life looks like as a modern-day shepherd. And it was fun to hear his stories as he's talking about walking around his land in the winter and in the spring. And the interesting thing is, is on his land, he's lived there, um, well, his family's lived there for probably as long as they can count back, as far as many generations as back as they can go. Not only do his sheep know his voice, His dogs know his voice. The deer know his voice. The foxes know his voice. And the crows know his voice and know when he's carrying a shotgun or not. And so when he walks out and starts speaking on his land, the land reacts to him. So he tells the story of when he, you know, spring is beginning to break and he goes wandering in his land and he's calling out to his sheep, trying to find his sheep that have been up on the, um, you know, up on the mountains for the winter and seeing the deer, you know, kind of pop up, look at who it is, recognize him and then go back to bed and kind of rest. And he can walk right by them and the foxes that'll come up and play at his feet and all of the wilderness that's no longer entirely wild because it knows his voice. And the sheep He calls them and they poke up and then they come running and the dogs obey. And his voice is over his land. What he speaks to and it responds to him, it it shows it belongs to him. And Jesus is interesting as he's explaining, look, when I speak and the things that belong to me are the hearts of my people. I speak and people's lives are transformed. That that dead heart inside, it's replaced and a new one is given. I call and spiritual people respond. You want to see what my pedigree is like? It's not just that I call and my brothers answer. My little brothers, half-brothers, really. It's not just that they have to answer, although no, I'll punch them in the mouth. It's, I call and my people from all over the world, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, those that are God's people will answer. Why? (laughs) 
Why does this happen? Well, the answer is because the Father has sent me, and I'm doing this in the Father's name, with the Father's power. How is it that I can be from heaven? I'm using the Father's voice and the Father's people answer. Jesus calls as people answer. That right there is a strong reason. I mean, that's pretty strong, but he doesn't stop there, actually. He continues giving an instruction for the Jews of the day. How else can you tell my pedigree? How else can you tell that I am the bread from heaven? Well, verse 45, as it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Okay, so this idea that in the coming days, as uh, the Lord's kingdom is here on earth, that all will be taught by God, and uh, this will be this beautiful relationship, and they will all know the Lord, all of his people. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Oh, what will they be taught? How will they know? How will they learn? How will they be taught? Well, there's going to be one person that's in between the Father and in between all of his people. And oh, by the way, it's me. And why does that work? Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And oh, by the way, I'm from God. I am God. I've seen the Father. He gives them kind of a point. It's a bit more complicated in the way that we would probably phrase this in our inelegant English of the day. But he says kind of point one. Why am I from heaven? Well, because I call and people answer point two. Why? It's because I am the mediator who has seen the Father. How do you know I'm the bread from heaven? Because I've seen it. I've seen life. I've seen light. I've seen God Almighty himself because he is God. You shouldn't question my pedigree, Jews, because I've witnessed it firsthand. There's a sense in which I go to tell you about the hot brown and how wonderful it is. And you may be a little bit skeptical, but you kind of have to leave the door open because only a couple of us in the room have actually had it. And you kind of have to take my word about it because I've eaten it. And most of you haven't. Maybe a couple. That's kind of in essence what Jesus is saying. Well, Why is it that you have to take my word that I'm the bread from heaven? Because I've been there and you haven't. How do you want to know what heaven looks like? Well, I've been there. You want to know what God looks like? I've seen him. It's something I've experienced and you haven't. So you really should stop grumbling. Doesn't stop. (laughs) 47, 48. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Why else should you believe he's the bread from heaven? Why? Because he is life itself. Which is going to make his own resurrection and raising other people from the dead make a whole lot of sense. Why is it that he can raise Lazarus from the dead? It's not that he's healing Lazarus. He's giving part of his life to him. He is the Lord of life. He is life. Here, take some. He can give it freely for it belongs to him. And not only is he the Lord of life, but he's the true one. He's the true bread. He is the bread that actually is sufficient. 
Your father's 49, they ate the manna and they died because what they ate was just bread. It fell from heaven in the sky, but it didn't come from heaven like eternity where God is. You're talking about things like rain, like snow. It wasn't sufficient. They were not saved. But whoever eats my bread will live forever. Jesus is from heaven. He is the Lord of glory. (laughs) 52, the Jews aren't done though. They're still complaining. So they first lead off with, how is it he can be from heaven? I know his parents. I know his siblings. I know his family. How can he be from heaven? And then he explains to them why he's from heaven. Because he calls and God's people answer because he's seen God Almighty. He's seen glory. He is the Lord of life and he has eternal life to give to everyone else. And so then what do the Jews say? Well, in essence, what does he mean by bread? It's not technically bread. Bread is something I eat. What is bread? Help me out here. And they begin to grumble again. The Jews dispute amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can he be bred? Do we actually kind of start gnawing on his arms? Like, how is it that he can be bred? And I think here they're probably, in my opinion, being intentionally obtuse. Um, by that I mean, you know, sometimes parents, you do this with your children. You'll, when you're disciplining them, you use a kind of an object lesson. And the kid tries to take it literally just to be annoying and drive you crazy. And you're like, really? You knew I didn't mean it that way. You knew I didn't mean it literally. When I said I would wipe that smile off your face, I didn't mean literally I would get a napkin and rub it until you weren't smiling anymore. You don't have to take it quite so literally to ruin the meaning of it. It should be abundantly obvious, but yet you don't get it. You're being obstinate and obtuse, so I will teach you what it means to wipe the smile off of your face. Here they're saying, look, you're missing out. You're taking bread, and you're taking it so literally. Are we supposed to gnaw on his arms? Like, what are we supposed to do? And he's like, Ugh. All right, let me tell you. I'll give you a fuller explanation. This is what it is. Truly, truly, I say to you. And there's going to be two elements that he highlights in these verses. That we must eat and we must absorb. Those are the kind of two elements to food. You have to eat it and you have to absorb it. And I will give you an illustration. Let's say you were to go with me to Louisville. Next time I have to go up there for school, it's um, end of May. And you were to come along and we were to go to this restaurant right there on the river, technically across the river, Jefferson City or whatever. And you were to sit there and you're going to order a hot brown and you get it right out in front of you and say, man, that is the best bread ever. I'm not even going to touch it. It obviously isn't the best bread if you're not eating it. Because it's, done, it's not food anymore. It's art or something. You have to eat it for it to be food. That's part of what it intrinsically means. So Jesus says to them, look, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. How is it that he is our bread? Is that we are to consume him. We are to appropriate. We are to grab him. We are to take him into us. But not just to grab a hold of him, but then also to absorb. 
If you ever did sports, you know that this happened in your sporting history. At some point, you've watched it happen. If you ran track or cross country, it was the worst. Where you go out and practice in the South Carolina, North Carolina heat. I remember a track meet in Columbia. It was so hot, the track was melting and the paint came off on your fingers. And after you ran, you were like, I'm dying of heat. I'm so thirsty. And somebody would inevitably, it always happened, somebody would sit down because they thought they were hot, they thought they were dehydrated, they thought they were thirsty, and they would drink like a gallon of water and then they would immediately undrink a gallon of water and then they would be just as thirsty just as dehydrated just as hot and even more miserable because they didn't absorb what they had done they ate it and then unate it it didn't stay in them it didn't become a part of them and jesus is saying the same thing look you have to feed on my flesh you have to drink my blood verse 54 those are the ones who have eternal life i will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. What is Christ saying here? He's saying if you want to have this life from heaven, you have to feed on me and remain in me and I in you. It's no joke that the Jews would have been livid because the heart of his message is profound. He's saying to them a bit more difficultly than we might say again in our coarse English. He's saying, look, all of you desperately need help. You survey your world and you are constantly filled with hunger. And you're filled with an appetite that no matter what you shovel down your throat, it always returns. Even if you gorge yourself like Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day, the hunger returns. You Jews, you're constantly searching for anything to satisfy that appetite. And Jesus goes to offer them something that they've never seen before. A solution to the craving. A solution to the longing. A solution to the need inside their soul. Now again, because of their obnoxiousness, they kind of being reductionists and being silly when they deal with him. But he's saying, look, you, you want to have that longing. You want to have that hunger inside of you filled. Well, there's an answer. You have to eat the bread from heaven. You have to absorb the bread from heaven. It must be from heaven. You have to cling to Christ and he is the only way. Now what do we do with a passage like this and a a culture for today? Well, first is the message of the Bible hasn't ever changed. And the message that he gives to the Jews is the same message that is for us and is for our community and for our nation today. Some of us in here know that longing without being filled. Some of us know in here that that consuming, always niggling kind of I'm empty inside and I desperately need something to fill me. Now some of us know that because we remember it from prior to conversion. Some of us right now are actually feeling it because we're remembering it pre-conversion. You're empty inside because you've yet to have the bread to fill you. 
The answer is no different today as it was back then. What is the solution to the consuming longing on the inside of humanity? It is Christ and Christ alone. There is no other bread that can satisfy. For those that do know the Lord, there is an important application to understand that in our communities, in our neighborhoods, on our streets, in our schools, and our friends, there is still no answer other than this. I remember in college, I had a philosophy professor who was, um, he's a very kind man, very wise man, an excellent philosopher. Uh, we were in school not long after Columbine. And so a lot of my classmates from Covenant were actually in Columbine or had friends that were in Columbine. And so they still were not able to talk about it because they remember running out of the school with their, you know, so that they, they remember all of that. They remember the struggle They remember the loneliness. They remember the isolation. And my philosophy professor, I remember him saying, students, be aware. This is the first of the new trajectory of America. As we have an entire generation that has been raised with longing with no answers. A generation that's been told that they are a biological accident with no meaning. They've recognized the incongruence of their soul where there's something missing, but they've been told there are no answers. Watch, it will only get worse. That was 1998. He's a clever guy, wasn't he? Because now that generation is actually out of school and we've looked at them and said, wow, that was the, the lost generation in America, a generation that had no answers and now the new one. And we're like, wow, even worse because we're seeing folks that are not finding solutions. And the thing is, the church has it. We have the bread of life. We have the answer. We know who Christ is. We know he is the only one who can satisfy longing. We know he is the only one who provides food that fills and never hungers. So please don't be shy with that. Don't be embarrassed about that. Don't be ashamed of that because all of those folks that you interact with around you, they're all constantly filled with this longing, constantly filled with this confusion and desperately looking for something to fill them up. We happen to be in a community where it's easy for them to do that because we have enough money. Money replaces that longing, or at least for a short time. Pleasure, luxury, friendship, silliness, just different things go to replace that. And lastly, one final kind of application takeaway point is that um, (laughs) Jesus is better than everything, obviously, but he's better than the hot brown in one key way. You don't eat so much of that before it makes you sick. And that's usually about half. And then you're like, oh, I might explode. Okay, Josh, I yield. Christ is the opposite, though, where there's never enough. You always have more of him. You can always consume more. You can always enjoy more. And for we that know him, that love him, that walk in his ways, that are already finding the joy of abiding in him and he in us, I would encourage you to labor at that union. Labor in the joy and delight that it is to feed on Christ. 
I mean, it's the kind of same advice that we'd give to like a young married couple that just gets married. We wouldn't say, I'm glad you had a great wedding. I hope you all see each other occasionally this year. <laughs> no, if you got married and you have a good time after you get married, like hang out all the time, like be friends, get to know each other, be together, be in the same location often, even talk to each other while you are. I would say the same thing for you spiritually. Be in the same location as your Savior. Often talk to Him often. It doesn't have to be this location. Be in this location. For that's where He is to be found. That you may be fed Christ and rest in Him. Let me pray. Father, we do thank You for Jesus who is the only hope for humanity. We thank you for Jesus, who is the true bread of life. We thank you that we may feed upon him and find eternal life. Thank you that he is indeed better than the best this place has to offer. In Jesus' name, amen.